How to Play, Episode 29W, How to Win Through the Ages. Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Buffalo, New York. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this podcast is about learning and teaching games. If you like the show, join and participate in our guild at Board Game Geek. For more information about all the How to Play podcast episodes, the corresponding teaching guides, and the discussion forums, refer to the How to Play Geek list, for which you can find a link there at the Guild. You can also check out our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com, where you can support the show with a PayPal donation, and I can be contacted at the Guild on BoardGameGeek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. This episode is part of How to Play's How to Win series. The How to Win series of podcasts will take a game previously covered on How to Play and go beyond the basic rules to explore some advanced strategy. This podcast is intended to be used by experienced players of the game who are looking to take their gameplay of that game to the next level. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, How to Play listeners. Here we are with a special episode, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Jeff Engelstein. Hey, everybody. And he's joined me here because we've decided to talk about one of both of our favorite games, and that is Through the Ages. Uh, This is the third in my How to Win series, where we talk about advanced strategy for games that really have a lot to dig into, and this is certainly one of them. And I know Jeff and I keep bringing this up on the Ludology podcast because we just love playing it so much, and there's just so much depth to this game. Yes, and... uh... You know, I, I've played the game, gosh, I don't know, but but probably close to 100 times at this point by with the ability to uh, play by email. And I, I'm still uncovering different combinations and, and different approaches to things. So uh, we'll, I'll, I'll do my best to uh, to give people uh, tips and strategies, but uh, I would certainly not consider this exhaustive in any uh, any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm still figuring things out myself. No, I would agree with that. And I just really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your divine wisdom with us. Well, I appreciate you having me. All right. Um, well, you know, you brought up playing it online, and, and that's actually, you know, how I've gotten really involved with this game, just because the amount of time that it takes to play. And I, I think it bears mentioning that, you know, this is really a great way to experience and play this game because you can just play it one chunk at a time, and that's through the very great resource that, that's available for free, and that's boardgaming-online.com, which I, it really should be called throughtheages.com, I guess, but it's a place where you can play Through the Ages online, and it's a very nice interface. Yeah, and I guess their intention was that they're going to be adding games at some point. But yeah, like you said, right now it's just through the ages. Uh, I've also played a lot of it online uh, using Cyberboard. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a uh, there's a Cyberboard game set that's available, and uh, on Board Game Geek, and it, it works pretty well. And one of the nice things, especially when you're learning, uh, is is I think that it's a lot better to learn through the Cyberboard set or face-to-face because you can undo mistakes and, uh, you know, you just have a little bit more flexibility. Whereas I think the, the board gaming online interface is really good. Once you know what you're doing, it, it, it handles a lot of the calculations for you. But once you kind of commit to a step, you're done and you have to move on to the next step. And there's, there's no way to undo it. If you realize that you've really backed yourself into a corner for something. You know, that that's one thing that I really appreciate about the 
online interface there at Board Gaming Online is the ability to replay your turns because sometimes you can't really see how it's going to look or whether you'll have uh, corruption until you just all play it out and work it out. And a lot of times I'll just I'll play turns four or six times and you know my wife will say what are you doing in there <laughs> you know i'll be on the eighth time trying to figure out how to avoid this uh two or corruption right well through the ages is i, I think a really great game to play by email mm -hmm. um i think that it's got that the chunk size is really nice i mean there's some games where you play them by email and again this is not a live play where everyone has to be on you just you make your move and then it just sends an email alert to, to the next player up that it's their turn to go is the chunks are good enough size so that you know you have something to do when you go in there and you don't you don't have to wait constantly for for another person to go but at the same time there's not so much for you to do that there's just like you know cognitive overload we used to play war games uh you know like um used to play russian campaign and things like that by email and there's just so many pieces that you have to move and worry about that it was a real commitment to sit down and make your move and it's the through the ages is kind of a nice medium in between those two so it's definitely my preferred way of playing the game is is some form of uh, electronic uh, format just just because it's it gets rid of the the downtime that you'll see between player turns, and you know just gives you gives you a nice um, quantity of stuff to do so that you can juggle multiple games at the same time. Yeah, in fact, I would go so far as to say that you know that's really the only way I actually want to play this game anymore, just because of the downtime that you mentioned. There's so much downtime. You know, each player could spend say 10 minutes on their action phase, which is going to lead you to you know half an hour before you get to play your turn again. And so you know, that's really how I enjoy playing this game. But enough about that. Let's get to the heart of today's topic, and that is how to win through the ages. And in thinking about how to organize this discussion. There's really a lot that we could talk about. It seems like one of the best ways we could tackle this is to sort of go at it in chronological order. So we'll go at it from the very beginning of the game and talk about each deck of cards from age A, age 1, age 2, age 3, and try to give you suggestions at each point in the game, early, mid, and late. And hopefully we'll give you some ideas or give you some things to think about to improve your Through the Ages game. Uh, I think that's a, that's a real clean way to approach it. So let's dive into it. Age A. Oh, Stone Age Jeff. So we're at the first turn and you're looking at it and you get to pick maybe one or two cards. What are your favorite cards to get on the first turn of the game, Jeff? I usually go one of two ways. Well, three ways, really. I, if if there's a reasonable wonder available, I will go for that. And really, the only one that will make me jump right away, I think, is pyramids. Mm -hmm. If I can grab pyramids, I'll get that. And then other than that, my next thing will be a leader. I will try to get um, Moses. Okay. He's he's my he's my man. Yeah. Uh, as my second choice. And after that, I actually will try to grab um, the yellow cards. I I, I like getting a couple of those. Um, uh, the extra yellow cards, some some extra food or resources or science or, or whatever's out there, I, I, especially ideal building site um, or the um, the one I forget that that gives you a discount on building another miner farm. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the yellow cards early on, especially, can be really valuable. Yeah, my my problem with this game and my problem with many games is that I'm too tempted to go 
away from things that aren't optimal and choose things that look like fun. <laughs> and well, so there's a lot of toys in this. There's a lot of shiny objects in this. Game, oh so. yeah. And, and I love to just try each of the different, you know, wonders and leaders and things. And pyramids, like you said, is, is such a nice advantageous. I don't think there's a question that that's probably the strongest wonder in the HA deck. Uh, but another one I, I really enjoy is the hanging gardens is that really takes off the pressure of you to get the, uh, the happiness and get priests early in the game. So that's one that I, I really enjoy having. And another leader that I think is underrated, it, it doesn't seem like it does much, but I really like it is Homer. Because, you know, you get the little one or discount, but he can score you like 10 points in the early game for two actions to take it and play it. And, and so I kind of like him. He doesn't really seem to do anything, but I think he's underrated. Well, I guess I'm one of the ones that underrate him. I mean, I, I, I think it, um, it, it certainly helps kind of getting you going on the military path. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I know is your favorite. I know you like uh, <laughs> like beating up on poor, defenseless, science-oriented <laughs> civilizations. Uh, but... Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I shy away. I mean, early culture, unless you can get something super duper cranking, really doesn't do much for me. I I, I try to put all my eggs into the the culture coming out in the third age. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, for better or for worse, I I like to spend those early times building up infrastructure. And I don't think that Homer does that for you. I think Moses does that for you. I think pyramids does that for you. Uh, hanging gardens to a certain extent can take care of your your happiness problem. Uh, early on. But, um, you know, th those are the kind of things that I like to, to focus on. Yeah, I don't know. I think that there's certainly something to be said for going for the culture advantage. I mean, it, when you come down the, the line and you're getting to uh, age three and someone has 20 or 30 points on you, you have to play completely differently. Uh, whereas if you have that 20 to 30 point advantage, that puts you in a different position. So, I mean, I'm someone who's even really tempted by that work of art card that scores you six points. You have to burn two actions to do it, but six points for two actions, you know, I will, I will use that. I will do that if I have spare actions. And I think probably you would disagree with me on that. Very much so. Yeah. I, I've never, ever, ever seen somebody play that work of art card early on. Um, okay, I have. I, it just, it just <laughs> okay, well, it just, it, I, I think it's, and, and the fact that it's, you know, that they had to throw so much culture at you. I mean, that's two actions that you could be used to, you know, building mines or, or you know, bumping up your military. or I mean, there's just so many different things that, that you could be doing with two actions, taking actually other yellow cards. I mean, it's just... I don't know. It just it just never it just seems like it's just dead weight. It's like buying, you know, one of those early uh, victory point cards in Dominion. I mean, you don't want to start buying that early and just clogging up your deck. That's that's the way it feels to me. I don't know. I disagree. I don't, I don't think it's that way at all, because I think having a culture point advantage at the end game is a, is definitely a strength and puts you in a good position at the end of the game. Well, if you have a culture advantage and everything else is equal, then you're right but you're giving something up to get that culture advantage. So if the other players aren't taking advantage of the fact that you're, you know, investing in culture, then yeah, you know, then then you're right. Then it's um uh, then it's better to have the the same tableau as the other players but to have more culture. But you know, usually you're given something up to get that. Right. And then you got to value that. And this isn't something I, I'll do all the time, but there's there's times when I have that one action and I'm out of corruption. I don't really have any ore. I, you know, I wouldn't shy away from snagging that six point well, work I, of art. I current. mean, if you got if you got nothing else to do, then you know, sure. All right, so let's talk about say you know turn two. 
it seems like there's only a couple logical plays. And, you know, for me, it's it's either build build bronze or maybe you snagged um, the ideal building site and build scientist on turn two. What do you think? Um, I will usually, yeah, I'll usually do bronze. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, you know, depending on how things are shaken out, I, I might put a farm up early. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, yeah, it's, it's going to be bronze for me. Okay. And, you know, do you build, how early do you build a third farm? Do you like to build a third farm? I know some people do, some people don't. I, I think that one of, one of the things that I would urge, uh, new players to really focus on is food production. I think that especially when people start out, um, having a good flow of population and food is one of the things that they neglect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like getting that third farm in there. I like to be able to, at least for the first four or five turns even, to be able to get a new person each turn. Yeah, I, I agree. I that was a step in my learning of the game was that, you know, you, you figure out rock is really important, right? But I think... Early on, I know I underestimated food, and that was something I learned. Getting that third farm can can really help you out. You get to a point where you can't get another guy, and that can really hinder you. Right. You either need the third farm, or if you can get Moses, then that, that takes the pressure off, but you got to be prepared for when he goes away. Right. And just in general, I mean, the thing that you really need to uh, to be aware of, especially with the farms when you're playing the full game, is the two tokens that go away. Yes, and this is kind of a pan age thing, so I guess we can talk about that now. But um, you really need to be focused on when is the age going to end, and because uh, that does a, a bunch of things. It does. It's going to take away two people, uh, which can make a big difference both in happiness as well as um, you know how much food you're going to need to get your next guy, uh, and you know does things with the leaders, and you could even start losing some you know cards in your hand or some wonders if you haven't finished them. So you really you really got to pay attention to how many uh, cards are left. And if you see you've got your opponent in a difficult position, you can even manipulate it somewhat if you right. want to grab a bunch of low value cards just to force the deck to to start getting run through. And that's something you know we talked about whether it's better in real life or online. And that's definitely some advantages to the online format is it's right there. How many cards are left in the deck? Whereas, you know, a lot of times you don't want to go through and count, but the even more important, one thing that's wonderful that it does is keeps track of how many turns there are played. And after you've played a number of games, you know that the game lasts 19 to 21 turns and having that clock to say, okay, it's turn 15 to know where you're at. Okay. It's turn 10 and having that clock, and, and know exactly what turn number it is, and you know the game lasts about 20 turns, really can help you make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and another aspect of that is when you're choosing which cards to take. Uh, another thing that I've seen um, beginning players do, or even intermediate players, is they tend to take too many technology cards. Yes, uh, you got to realize you've got, <clears throat> like you were saying, maybe six or seven or eight turns in an age. So if you're not going to get that card down, you know, if it's, if your science production is such that with everything else that, that's going on in your civilization, if it's going to take you a bunch of turns to get it down, or if it's just going to sit there as dead weight in your hand and just get discarded anyway, then you're just wasting your time. So you really, you, you want to really plan ahead in terms of which technology cards you really think that you can get to the table and just take those. Just just don't grab something unless you're specifically trying to deprive it. 
uh, from the other players. And looking to see, will I have the science next turn to play it? If if it's not coming down for a couple turns and the, the next age deck is coming down, why not wait and hope that it comes up in the next age? Mm-hmm. And, and one last thing I'd mention while we're still talking about age A is something that I, I think becomes pretty clear to people who play the game a couple times. You got to have that worker in the pool for all those events that come up that give you the free guys, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There is nothing worse than having that card come up and you just built a temple <laughs> and then the free temple card comes up and you're like, well, you know, there's two resources I just wasted. So yeah, yeah, you got to gotta have an extra guy and you want those cards to come out as kind of as early as you can. So, you know, it's a good chance if you've got some some events in your hand to throw them in there. The AJ events are only good, so you don't have to worry about that. And I guess we'll talk about events more when we get into age one. But, um, you know, throw those in there, get those out. Uh, and be able to plan for it. Okay, so I think we should move on to age one. Sure. Age one. All hail the wonderful, the majestic, the fantastic King Jeff. So I think the first thing that we have to talk about are, I think, in my opinion, some of the most critical cards in the game. And we'll see if you agree with me. And those are Iron and irrigation because i've found you know in playing a number of games now that if i miss either of those it's very hard for me to win and so looking for these and trying to get them and get both of them even if it's later in the age one deck i find both of these cards to be so important do you agree i i like iron i certainly like to get iron i find that irrigation is not quite as necessary i mean if you get three or four farms running i think that that it works pretty well but I think that um, that that iron can be important just because everything starts costing so much and you start running into issues with corruption. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, that irrigation is more skippable. But iron, you know, if you miss that, the, the problem with that is then you're in a hole as far as how do you upgrade if you don't have enough resources to upgrade? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. How, how um, do you get to, you know, you can say, oh, I'll get to coal. Well, you can't get to coal if you don't have enough resources to upgrade from the two to, what is it, eight to get to coal? So now you're needing six in order to get up to that next level. Right, unless you start using the yellow cards. But yeah. I mean, the, the, and, and another issue with the coal is that it seems whenever I don't have iron that the coal cards come out towards the end of the, they always <laughs> tend to come out towards the end of the age. I mean, there's no guarantee that they're going to come out early. And then you've got you know, it's it's the end of age two, so you got some something in age three. You know, a, a little bit of usage of coal in age three, um, but it's it's just going to be a real problem for you. And I believe I have to check the decks, but I think there are only and actually I'm looking at it right now here. There are only three iron cards in a four-player game, or two iron in a three-player game. So someone, yeah, someone's going to go with Someone is going to miss that. And so if you're thinking about ones that I'll spend two actions, certainly, and sometimes even three actions for, especially if it's early, I will nab that iron card. Yep. Yeah. And if you don't, if you see that you don't get iron, I mean, there's other things that you really have to do to try to compensate for that. Yeah. If you don't, uh, if you don't get iron, what do you do? Well, you've got to look at things that mainly are going to give you discounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I like to go for, you know, you try to get engineering and uh, stuff like that. I guess it's architecture in the in the earlier ages, but things that will give you discounts. you got to go for the yellow cards uh, that are going to just give you uh, free minerals. Mm-hmm. Just just those types of things and just any, uh, any colonies, events. Uh, you know, you just got to try to work around the margins and, and see what you can do to pull those rocks in there because you're going to you're going to need them. 
right. as you said, the, the stuff starts getting more and more expensive, and you're you're definitely going to need them. So you you've got to chart out a course that's gonna that's gonna let you keep up with the other players, even though you may be behind on your per turn uh, resource production. Yeah, the next thing that you're going to need for sure is to get some more actions, and there's a couple different ways to go about doing that. We, we mentioned pyramids or code of laws or, of course, a, a revolution. Do you like to do a revolution in the first stage? I like monarchy. Actually, I like both the monarchy and theocracy mm -hmm. are both really good texts. So I try to bring those in. Um, I very rarely will bring them in with a, a revolution. I'll usually try to do a peaceful revolution. Really? Um just just losing the turn sometimes can I, I just find that it's it can be difficult. But if it's early enough in the age, it can get away with it. Yeah. Um, but I will usually try to save up and, and do a peaceful for for monarchy or for theocracy. Yeah, I really am a fan of an early monarchy straight revolt. And, you know, if yeah. that if that comes right. up early and I, I see it, I will nab it. And I will try to set up for it, being that I will try to burn all my resources so I don't get corrupted on the following turn. And so I'm all set to use all of those all of those civil actions. And maybe I'll have a person and a, a few rocks so I could build a soldier so I don't get corruption or something. But really try to get that set up because if you have five and three actions you know, early in that first stage I think is a strong advantage because a lot of players do not get their actions up until uh, age two. And monarchy can last you the entire game. Yes. If you get some extra techs around it, if you get code of laws or, or some of the other things that come around it, if you happen to be lucky enough to also have pyramids, you, you can live with monarchy all the way. Mm -hmm. um, the main time where it really starts to hurt you is the fact that you can only have the three, that you have the three building limit yeah. for each type sometimes can get you into trouble. But you know, other than that, it's it's totally workable for the entire game. And that's the other reason that I love it is you can say, all right, I've got monarchy. I'm set for the rest of the game. I mean, maybe I get a maybe I get one of those blue techs that give me another action or a leader that gives me another action. But I don't really have to revolt again or get a new government if I don't want to. You know, you said right. you said you like theocracy. The thing that scares me about theocracy is, you know, it solves your happiness problem temporarily. But then when it goes away, you know, you can't I don't think that you can live on theocracy for the entire game. So when that does go away or, or if you want to revolt to try to get more civil actions, then you just create another problem for yourself. It, it, yeah, you, you have to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you have to have one of the um, you know, one of the temple techs is usually the best, you know, get get a higher level temple tech and move a, one guy up there as an upgrade and you can cover that. But, yeah, you, you certainly need to be prepared for it. Yeah, one thing I, I think is worth mentioning that, you know, you can make it to the end of the game with monarchy. You cannot get to the end of the game on despotism. And I can tell you that because I've tried it before and <laughs> it, it's not pretty. You can't. It's just and, and it's a combination of not having the civil actions and well, plus your military actions are too low and just only being able to have two urban buildings yeah. of each type. That's like that's just a killer when you get into age three, two and three. Forget it. Yeah, unless you you know you're getting those blue techs all the time. Yeah. But even with that, you know the urban building limit is certainly an issue. Now you talked a little bit about corruption. Yeah. Um, how far will you go to avoid corruption? Uh, yeah, that that's a good point. It totally depends on the situation. You know what the number one factor is is my current production of resources. 
if I'm only making, obviously early in the game, if I'm only making three or four resources per turn, uh, then I really will try to move things around. And this is usually how I you know, end up playing my turns six times is trying to figure out how to avoid that corruption. But when I, when I start making more resources, then I don't worry about it as much. Or if I'm going to do a revolt for that monarchy and I'm going to lose two rock, well, you know, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. So, you know, it is a good point. You know, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to just, you know, lose that two rock? Yeah, I think it happens mostly early in the game. Yeah, I think it's very unusual that later in the game you get corruption. There's usually other blue beads that you get, or you just get into the higher level techs where you know you're getting uh, your better farms and your better mines. Um, and I always tell new players, you know, don't freak out if you're going to get a corruption in age one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain situations where it's it is the best play. Um, yes. especially when some of those events come out, sometimes you get the events where all of a sudden you get three more rocks or whatever. And, you know, it just seems like the two events come out in a row and just drop a whole bunch of stuff in your lap and just, you know, just don't, don't panic about it. Um, on the other hand, the, the happiness issue, um, having a, a revolt, that's, that's really bad. Uh, that I think needs to be avoided at all costs. Oh yes. Yes. You, you cannot have that happen. And it, it's funny you mentioned that cause I, um, I was playing this with my wife because I think it was my birthday, so uh, she had to play a game <laughs> with me. So I figured, what's and that's what you picked what's out. What's the longest a... possible? Ga- How can I milk this as long okay. as possible? Actually, it was she was really great. I mean, we we played it over three sessions. She went through all uh, ages one, two, you know, um, the simple game, the two age game, and the three age game. But that was something that she had a hard time with. Is she hated losing rock, and you know, I. It's funny, my wife's personality. She uh, she doesn't like to waste money. She's very careful with her money. So the idea of her losing two rock was just too much to bear. And and I kept trying to urge her. You know, it's okay, but it, it wasn't sinking in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you gotta you gotta be able to let go. But uh, you know, you shouldn't do it gratuitously. Right. You know, if you if you if it happens two or three times during the course of the game, it's really gonna hurt you. But you know, if it happens once and you know you just you, you get a lot of stuff from events or whatever, you just you know, just just deal with it. And of course, the extra factor that comes into play is those nice events go away and the events that impact how much strength you have and the players start having the ability to attack each other. So that begs the question, how early do you like to push your military to take an advantage, Jeff? I like to have either it parity or, or a little bit of an advantage early on. Um, I'm not trying to hit people usually in age one with aggressions. I, I find that just the, the military scores typically tend to be too low unless, you know, somebody has completely neglected military or if you get lucky with, you know, getting a good tactics out there and, and do okay. But, you know, usually if I can stay at least equal to or, or a little bit ahead in the military race, I like that because I like to play events. I, I like to be able to know what's in the event pile. If I know that rats, if I put rats in there, which eliminates everybody's food, mm. You know, that gives me an advantage because yes. I know that's there. I don't know exactly when it's coming up, but I know that, you know, I need to kind of stay on top of, you know, spending my food and getting my people and not leaving it for the next turn. Um, and if I'm behind in military, I typically do not play events. I, I find the risk for most of the events is is too high because I, I don't know what percentage of it, but it just seems like a, a very large percentage of the events affect the player with the lowest strength. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's to to get the one culture and to get something in there, I I just find that it's not 
it's not worthwhile. Uh, so I like playing the events and controlling the tempo of the game from that standpoint. So early on, I, I try to at least stay in parity so that I feel more comfortable tossing the events into the pile. Yeah, you make a, a number of good points. Uh, one is that that rats card can be one of the most devastating cards in the game. I've had that single-handedly make me lose the game because it just throws off your whole rhythm. It, it is. It's it's a very powerful event, and yeah, all of a sudden someone's losing like six food. You know, it's it can be painful, and it affects you for maybe two turns to come, which just takes out your whole rhythm of of what you've got going on. I like with my military. I. I go for two strategies. Either I decide I'm going to surge ahead so I can bully people around or I'm going to I'm going to stay close like you said. And unlike you, I I do like raiding people. I like plundering people in age 1. You know, especially if if I've decided to go with Caesar or Alexander or one of those early guys and I'm if I've taken those guys, I'm going to use them. I'm I'm going to bully people. I'm going to get swordsmen as early as I can and and I'm going to start bullying people early. And and that's definitely a strategy, and it's it's um, it can be effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just in general, there's kind of you know two, well, maybe three tracks, uh, general strategies that you can do, you know, in through the ages. I think you know one is kind of a a consistent focus on gradually building up your culture, generating buildings and your infrastructure, and just trying to move everything ahead at a reasonable pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is to just put everything into infrastructure, not worry at all about culture until the third age and just go for the big wonders and, and just try to you know get multimedia and some other stuff going that's really going to let you crank things out. Uh, and then the third strategy is, is going with military and um, you know trying to get your culture through, through aggressions and through wars and um, you know just, just keep the other players down. And the military certainly I think can be the most devastating for the other players. And once you get ahead of steam going, can be very difficult to stop. It can be difficult to catch up to people. But at the same time, it's a very high risk strategy. It relies on, you know, basically some random card draws. You have to get the right tactics. You know, you have to have access to the right technologies. You have to draw the right aggressions and wars at the right time. So it, it kind of depends on your personality you know, as well as just kind of early on what, what you have access to if you want to go that much riskier military route. If, if you get it going, it's going to win the game for you. But if not, it can just end up being like just a, if you don't draw the aggressions and the wars, it's going to be a big, just a big lump that just sits there and doesn't really do anything for you. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that because I've had situations where say in age two, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of keeping pace with everybody. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting some military cards, but then in the middle age two, all of a sudden I'll have drawn two war over culture cards. And now all of a sudden I have the tools and all I need to do is build up, uh, you know, build up and use those tools. I'll, I'll have say a, a good two tactics card and two war over cultures. And that path is set out for me. And there, there's, very little risk involved with that other than maybe getting the text that I need to get. Yeah. I mean, once you, if you've got the cards in hand, that'll do it for you. Then yeah, yeah then, then, then you're, you're set up and then you just got to work to make that happen. Yeah. I've had a couple of games where people say, Oh, you were so lucky to draw those cards. And then, you know, I just say, I, I had the cards when I decided to go heavy military. And, you know, I think that that's part of it. One, one warning I would issue is 
part of what you said is true because a lot of times I've counted on a tactics card to come up. And sometimes it's just any tactics card and it, it doesn't come up. And that's part of it. You have to know that sometimes you just, you will not get a tactics card. You, It's much less likely that you'll get a particular tactics card, but sometimes you don't even get any tactics card and that can just cripple your whole game. Right. And that's why, you know, you need to have some diversity in your units, mm -hmm. you know, if if you're interested in that. And I think just in general, kind of as a defensive measure that that the Knights card can be really, really important. Yeah, it's one of those age one texts. You know, it's not quite as critical, I think, as iron, but it's it's definitely one that if you can get Knights out on the table, it's going to give you a lot more flexibility through the entire game of of shifting into into different types of tactics. Yeah, the, the thing about knights is it's strictly better than swordsman, right? Uh, swordsman is okay if you're going to do what I, I talked about earlier, and that's if you want to do some early bullying, uh, you know, swordsman can be important. Um, but knights gives you access to a different unit type, which is very valuable. Uh, at the same time, the, the thing, you know, the downside with knights is that you can't use them all the way. At a certain point, they do become obsolete. The knights themselves. But yeah, but it's good to have, you know, just, just have the cavalry. Right. Having a good military gives you a number of advantages. We talk, you know, it certainly gives you the immediate, the immediate and obvious advantages. It gives you access to the aggressions and the wars. Uh, it also gives you access to controlling the event deck and being very comfortable with playing aggression, uh, with playing events and getting, reaping the benefits of a lot of the events uh, that, that accrue to the strongest player. And it also helps in, uh, something we haven't talked about it yet is, which is colonies. Mm -hmm. You know, the colonies is kind of its own little separate strategy in a way. Yeah. Although I find that it's tougher to plan for that one. It tends to be a little more serendipitous, but, right. um, but, but that certainly can be extremely powerful to, to get colonies. And, and then you have to decide how much you're willing to sacrifice in order to get them because that you, you kind of start eroding your advantage in military at the expense of, of getting those colonies, and then you got to go back and spend time to rebuild it. I think there's more subtlety to your decision on on bidding for colony. I think than than some people realize. You know, a few things that I've learned is you really got to pay attention to turn order, especially if you're playing a four player game. On you know what's going to be the impact of that colony bid is you know yes you you can probably win that, but if there's three players after you, it's a much different situation than if there's one player after you. Yeah, you want to be, you know, if, if it's your turn or if it comes up with the player just before you, mm -hmm. um, then you're in the best situation because you know for sure that you, you will have an opportunity to rebuild your military before somebody else can play an aggression card. Yeah, and, and there gets to be a certain point where you start saying, okay, I can win that with four, but in order to replace that, that's going to take me uh, six food and six ore. Is the you know three grain and three yellow tokens I'm gonna I'm gonna get? Is that going to be worth it at that point? Right, but that's why it can be nice to have Colossus and the Colossus, which gives you the colonization bonus, and and some of the other texts, which just give you a quick little colony bonus. It can it can give you access to those. Uh, really on the cheap. You can just, you know, sacrifice a warrior and, you know, still be able to bid five or six. Yeah, and, and as you said, that that is a, a nice little mini strategy. And if one player out of four has gone down that road and loaded up the event deck with colonies and has colony bonus bonuses where they don't have to expend people, then, you know, that's really hard to stop. Uh, but as you said, it is, it's difficult to execute as well. Yes.
The last thing I'd mentioned while we're talking about the military is you mentioned a number of different strategies, and, and that is you know how much you focus on military or infrastructure or getting culture. But I don't think, I think it's worth pointing out that in none of those three strategies can you fa fall behind in the military for any significant period of time. And that's, you know, it's it seems obvious, but no matter what, you get so involved in these other things, whether it's infrastructure or culture or whatever it might be, and you say, oh, I can, you know, I can fall behind for a couple turns. And I think, I mean, there would even be a number there of two, three, maybe two turns. If you're down military, especially depending on the higher number player games, if you fall behind in the military for, I would say three turns for sure, it's my, you know, completely made up theory that you can you cannot win the game <laughs> just because you're going to get punished so much and just become a total target. Yeah, you're uh, I, I you, the goal is I mean, you don't have to be ahead in military to win the game, but you can't be too far behind. Right. You know, if somebody starts to stretch a lead, uh, it, it can be very challenging. And again, you don't want to be, you know, if you're playing in a three or four player game. Um, you know, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than one of the, one of the other players running from the bear. Yeah. Um, cause you got to figure that most likely they're going to go after the person that's got the lowest military. So you at least don't want to be that guy in last place. Uh, but ideally you want to be, even if you don't have the defense cards, you want to at least be within striking distance yeah. with defense cards. So you give the, the, the military player, uh, second thoughts because it's, you know, I, it's, they are, if they play an aggression, especially later on, the aggressions in the wars that take th two or three military actions. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially early on, H1 and H2, maybe you've got two or three military actions. Um, so you're blowing your whole military turn just on playing that card. And if it doesn't work, that's military cards you don't get to draw. That's other units you don't get to build. Mm -hmm. So they got to think, you know, what what is the real chance that this aggression is going to be successful? Um, a an aggression that's that's played and is not successful is is a real negative for for the military player because they're they're living and dying by drawing as many of those military cards as they can. And uh, that's a good point. You don't even have to have as much as they do. You don't even have to be able to defend, I think. But if you can even convince them that, you know, if you even have a position, you have enough cards to make them yeah. think that you can defend, sometimes that that at least is enough. Right. If you're sitting on four military cards and, you know, you're four points behind the other guy in age one or age two, you know, the military cards give you a, a good defensive bonus, you know, and figure, okay, plus I could sacrifice a warrior if I need to. Um, you know, it's it that may be enough to stave them off. You know, if you start falling 20 points behind, 30 points behind, that's when someone's going to drop the drop the hammer on you. Exactly. Well, let's um, let's turn the page here from military for a bit and talk about uh, some of the wonders and leaders that you like from age one. None of the wonders really knock my socks off for age one. I will usually try to get an age A wonder and, and then duck age one and focus on age two and three because I think those are much more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you can get your hands on Michelangelo, then you can pick up the Basilica. Is obviously a very strong combo. Yeah. Um, you know, or if you have, you know, the Hanging Gardens, then the, the Basilica just on its own can be useful also. But, uh, you know, Great Wall, I, I don't think it's that exciting. You know, Taj Mahal is nice. What does it give you? Three culture, I think, for a turn, something like that. Yep. Um, but it costs, you know, it's it's still expensive to build. 
So again, there's other things that you could be building for that. And, and more importantly, it's going to take an extra action to take a, a later wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not only are you spending time and resources building, uh, building one of these age one wonders, but it's also going to make it much more difficult for you to get those really critical age three wonders, which we'll, which we'll talk about when we get up to them. So I, I, I tend, unless a perfect opportunity presents itself and it fits in really nicely with my strategy, I will typically tend to avoid the age one wonders. And that's funny because it does seem to be this void where people don't typically build the wonders. And that's for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, some of the critical technologies that we talked about that people have to devote their resources. You know, people a lot of times have to get their science so they can get their iron, they can build up their iron and just don't have the time for that. I think that the Basilica is the one that sticks out. You know, we talked about some of these sub-strategies and the Basilica happiness uh, Michelangelo strategy is certainly one of those and a very powerful strategy that, that can put you so far ahead that it's hard to catch up. Um, but for some reason, the Taj Mahal, whenever I look at that wonder, I always see it as just a big bullseye. Like if you take that, it just puts a bullseye right on your chest. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, look how much culture I have. And guess what? I spent all my rock building it so I don't have any military. Come, steal it. Knock over my stuff. You know, that's, right. it's kind of... I, you know, it's a question of what are you what are you giving up by building it? Because you're always, you know, it's always a trade-off. You know, nothing comes for free. So what about the leaders from age one? I am kind of coming around, although I kind of avoided him for a while, but I'm starting to really like Columbus. Yeah. Especially if I have a colony in hand, and I usually am not the military leader. So it's a real nice way for me to just drop down a colony. Uh, you know, in some of those age one or age two colonies, if you want to wait and take a chance on age two and, and keep him in into that age, uh, you know, I, I think works works really nicely. Just drop it down on the table and boom, you're you're done. Well, he he's got to come early, right? He's no good late. No, not necessarily, because you can you can play him with an age. You can drop an age two colony on him. Well, then you, it's taking you a long time. It's gonna you're probably not gonna be able to get an age two leader for a little bit. I, let's just say this: I would prefer to get him early, set I, up with I a agree. colony, and, and I agree he would be better that way. Um, some other ones that stick out for me are Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc is really a fun one to have. I enjoy having Joan of Arc. But again, it has sort of that theocracy issue, right? In that it sort of takes care of your problem temporarily, um, but yeah. you really have to prepare for the death of Joan of Arc because suddenly you're going to get stomped on. And that's that's happened to me as well. It's almost it's almost kind of like a trap. Well, but the, yeah, I, Joan of Arc, I've, I've never, I haven't done her t- that often. Watch that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she was the virgin maid, right? So... I haven't I haven't <laughs> utilized her special talents. <laughs> okay. Uh, but Keep going. Uh, the, the other one that I, I really like is um is uh, Leonardo. Right. I mean I, I, I think that having the uh, ability to, to you know, because you're gonna want to play technology cards anyway. So every time you play um uh, a tech card, you get um you get a rock. Yeah. So I mean that's that's can be a nice a real a real nice bonus to kind of get you going. So you get you you get the science bonus, you get the uh, production bonus, and and it's you, you get it all just for doing something that you want to do anyway. So I I I like him also. I find him really powerful, and I especially like to parlay him then directly into you know just just stick on that science track is one of my favorite strategies of just go. Uh, da Vinci, Newton, Einstein. Wow, that that's really shocking, Jeff, that you like to go down that path. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I see more like the Joan of Arc kind of guy, but <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I find I find Leonardo da Vinci to be somewhat mediocre. Um, he's okay when I have him, but I'm I'm never really that thrilled. Uh, Genghis Khan, I've I've experimented having him, and you know I've I've made the dumb mistake of having him and the Great Wall. Those two don't really work well together. <laughs> I've discovered as they use opposite units. Yes. Uh, so you know strategy tip watch out for that one i've um you know that kind of surprised me when i use and, and found to be pretty useful is barbarossa uh, especially if you haven't built up your military yet and and you need to he can be really useful yeah he can he can help you catch up in a hurry yeah so i think that that um, that's a good overview of age one and and we've got into a lot about that uh, let's move on to the age two deck shall we sure age two Jeff is an enlightened man, and he loves science. Okay, so then let's go ahead and look at the production aspect. Uh, selective breeding and coal. How often do you take those? Somewhat often. Yeah. Uh, if I if I get iron, then you know I'll get coal if it's useful. If I, you know if I can if it's early enough. Uh, otherwise I won't bother with it, but I, I like to take selective breeding. Just, you can get one guy or two guys up on selective breeding and that can take care of your, your food issues for the rest of the game. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I talked about how I love irrigation and iron and I love to have both of them. And because I have both of them, a lot of times I will skip either or, or even both of these. I mean, I've, I've even ended the game on iron and, and won before. And, you know, there comes to a certain point of no return where, you know, do I want to spend two turns and, and science and, and all my rock to, to get up to coal? Sometimes it's just not worth it. Well, I mean, there's a certain math to it. Um, you know, if you're upgrading, you know, upgrading somebody from iron to coal costs, what, three? Yep. Something <laughs> like that. So, you know, if if the if there's more than three turns left in the game, theoretically, you're going to to make that back. You know, if if it's four or five or six turns left, then, you know, it's it's not even though you'll you'll make it back eventually, it's not as exciting. Uh, you'll make a couple of extra rocks over the course of the game. But, you know, you're using uh, actions to do that, that you could be doing something else with. You know, it's it's not necessarily as as compelling as it gets later in the game to start doing those resource upgrades. Selective breeding, though, does tend to get important when we talk about the full game and you're losing those guys. And if you actually want more guys, you know, in the in the middle to end of the game, you almost it's almost a requisite to have that selective breeding, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I think you can do it somewhat with with a bunch of uh, irrigation if you get some guys on irrigation. But, yeah, you, you can't do it with just the basic age a farms i mean you've, you've got to get either irrigation or selective breeding or your your people production is just going to grind to a halt i think if you don't have selective breeding it changes the way that you have to play um in that in let way? me let me explain i think that if you don't have selective breeding uh then you're not going to have enough food so you're, you're not going to be able to get as many guys and so in that case instead of you know, just getting you know more soldiers or, or more lower level things, you're going to have to make sure that you have science so that you can get higher level tech so you can upgrade the guys that you do have rather than relying on just adding more guys. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things I love about Through the Ages is it's about 
mitigating your weaknesses. I mean, every civilization has some weaknesses. Uh, so, you know, the question is, what do, what do I need to do to either address those directly or work around them? And, and what's the best way to go? Because there's always, you know, whether it's your yellow cards and throw get some bonus food and frugality and be able to, to get some food after you build guys. There's, there's things that you can do to work around it. And just a question of what, what path you want to take and, and how you're going to focus on it. Yeah. And, and talking about what you want to focus on, um, there are some, some technologies in the game that I think of, you know, how when you went to high school, there, there are some things you had to take. And then there were other classes that you could choose to take. And, you know, they're called electives. That's how I feel about the arenas, libraries, theaters and temples. I mean, so you've got all those there. And I feel like they're kind of like electives. You, you can't take them all. You can only take like one or two. So which one are you going to take? And I we talked about new player mistakes. I think uh, an easy new player mistake is to get like all of these, you know, they've got an arena and a library and a theater and a temple. They've got them all in their hand and they can't play. They can only play one of them. Right. And another new player mistake, I think, is is, you know, turning your your nose up at uh, the combination ones like library. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, alchemy is or um What's above alchemy? I don't remember. But the uh, you know the 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 level two lab is going to give you more science than the level two library. Mm -hmm. But you can do both. You know to get both culture and science with one guy because it's it gets harder and harder to get more guys. You start also running into your building limits. Um, so it's you know it's it's a much more efficient way to try to use those combination buildings. Instead of just you know staying just straight on your lab track and go going all the way to the top, mm -hmm. um, the only one that I think is really useful for that uh, is um, temples. I, I personally like temples over arenas. I, I very rarely use arenas. I think the military bonus that you get from arenas is not large enough to to justify um, the additional cost that you get. Whereas if you can just get one of the higher level temples, uh, you know that can that can often be enough. Uh, just on itself, one or two guys on temples to to take care of your um, your happiness problem for most of the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, a lot of times when I end up with arenas, it's just because the the higher level temple isn't there at the time, and that's that's the option that I have. Uh, you know, I think organized religion is is one of the more useful texts, and that that card will solve your happiness problem all by itself, and it does so very cheaply uh, with science. It only costs like four science or something. I can't recall yes. off the top my head yeah it's it's pretty inexpensive <clears throat> the the libraries i think the reason they're underrated is you look at them and say all right this this gives me less science and science is good um you know people who haven't maybe don't know all the cards won't know that where they really pay off is in that late game because libraries are key to a number of wonders and and leaders i believe but specifically wonders those that, that give you a ton of points there at the end of the game and so for that reason sometimes it, it's fun to say okay i'm not going to build as many science guys i'm going to i'm going to build build up libraries instead and you know sometimes you can't commit to both levels and it's important to know i think sometimes i i committed two or three guys to science at that point it's hard to get libraries because then you're committing so much resources to that one avenue of science that it's almost not feasible. So if you think you're going to go the library path to sort of hold back on the science earlier in the game. Yeah. And also, um, you know, again, it's, it, there's a lot of synergy there. If you go the Da Vinci Newton route, you know, and, and you know that you're going to want to crank out the science that will also make it much easier for you to get the blue techs, uh, especially the ones that will give you discounts on your buildings. Uh, so you can kind of, 
you know, get a, a nice synergy going where you're really cranking out a lot of science, you're getting discounts on your, um, you know, on your buildings, uh, and that, that lets you get some workers, you know, a, a fair number of workers on those buildings. I mean, I've had a lot of games where I've, and I like doing this, is at the very end of cranking out um, multimedia and uh, movies, you know, the level three and the level, the level three libraries and theaters. But in order to get there, it's it still can be useful to set up the level twos and 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 get some guys going in there and and start that cranking and then upgrade them to to the level threes when you go. So, I, I think it's important to get started on on the libraries and theaters in age two. Not as much in age one, um, but certainly once you get to age two, I like to start getting those going. There he goes again. You know, focus on science and and don't get sports. That's what Jeff Engelstein is telling you. That's right. No sports and uh, no. We're, we're peaceful people. I know you're 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 all very shocked by this there at home. Let's talk about the the military deck in Age Two. And I think one thing that I always try to pay attention to is the cannon because it's the, the first artillery unit. You know, especially if if I happen to draw one of those tactics cards, I always love to get a cannon because. I love in general, I love the age two military techs because the thing I love about them as opposed to the age one is that I know that if I get this down, that this is going to be valuable to me throughout the end of the game because I can use it for those huge tactics bonuses. Yeah, and this is probably a weakness in my game is I, I tend to not get the cannons as much yeah. and then I regret it later because mm-hmm. uh, you get you start getting all these techs in your hands. But, you know, those age three techs really rely on the cannons, a lot of them, and... Um, you know, I'm stuck with just, you know, some of some of the crappier older tactics cards that that are just uh, infantry and cavalry. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's important to get that out there to at least have the eye, even if you don't put a guy on there, at least get the card down. So you have an option of getting that if you if you can. Yeah, even even if you just have it in your hand, you know, sometimes that's nice. But on the flip side, I've I've done that. I've overvalued cannon. And then, you know, you never draw an artillery tactic card the whole rest of the game. And then you think, oh, you dummy. <laughs> well, high, high risk, high reward, as we talked about the military. That's, that's what it is. That's right. Okay. So let's get into um, the, the wonders of H2. Well, there's one wonder that I always, always, always try to get if I can. And that's ocean liners. I love ocean liners. Yeah. Uh, this, this gives you a free guy each turn, basically, until you get to the very end, you basically get a five food discount. So there's some guys later on, uh, that will, um, uh, that, that maybe you'll need a little bit of food for, but I, I just love it. Um, I, I think it's so powerful. It lets you, I, if I can get it, I can start decommissioning my farms and moving those people to other places. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, just, just not to have to worry about that. For the rest of the game and to constantly have a flow of new people it's it's a tremendous edge i i always try to get ocean liner if i can yeah it is very strong but you almost have to set up to be capable of building this thing i mean if you're you're looking to build this sometimes it's good to make sure that you get something like um uh, the engineering or the masonry or something because it's yes. it's five actions actually you know six actions right. or seven actions depending on how many uh the wonders you already have it's it's a ton of actions so you need to a have actions through uh getting a government and b maybe having you know i think you almost have to have one of those um engineering techs to be able to i agree otherwise it takes a ton but that's again if you've uh you know if you've gone that that library lab route with the science then 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 you've got a lot of those blue techs out there and it gives you some tools to work with but again, I think it also really depends on 
when it comes out. I mean, if it it comes out at the beginning of age two, yeah, it's a whole different ball game than if they oh absolutely out near the end. You're absolutely correct. If it's if it's coming out as one of the last cards in age two, by the time you get it and get it built, you should be focusing on age three wonders at that point. You 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 shouldn't be wasting your time on on ocean liner. It's not going to do that much for you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two that stick out in age two. It's ocean liner, and the other one that's very nice is transcontinental rail. Uh, having the five free military, and then of course if you combine that with guess what, coal, and later on oil, and you'll you'll want to get those as it really make that advantage strong. I, I think Transcontinental Railroad, the abilities that that has are, are just very useful. Yeah, I tend not to play that. I mean, that's, it's basically, that's, it just, it just doubles your, your highest uh, production. Uh, so, you know, it, it's worth an extra two or three resources per turn. Right. So if you get um, if you get uh, coal, then you're getting right. three rock for you know it could be ten turns, which is like thirty rock and five military that don't cost you any workers. I I would argue that it's as strong, if not stronger, than ocean liner. Well, I, interesting because yeah, I I've never really played that. It's just just uh, it's just never seemed to make sense to me. But yeah, I mean one of the nice things about the wonders, and we talked about uh, ways to mitigate not ha you know not having food. And and wonders are a good way to do that because they don't need people, they don't take space in your hand. Mm -hmm. So you know that's that's certainly a way around that. Yeah, and uh, the other one that I just enjoy because I think it's fun is I enjoy the challenge of trying to get the Kremlin down. And, and talk about <laughs> another sub strategy. Another sub strategy is just you know happiness, uh, and that's going down that path. We're talking about getting religion as as that's more accessible early. And then a lot of times, you know, getting Joan of Arc and then, you know, you might get the Basilica and all those things that build up to having enough happiness that you can get the Kremlin and nobody else can really get if it. If you can get Kremlin and you can get communism, it can be effective. I mean you'll you'll take a you'll take that happiness hit, but if you can you can deal with it, you're gonna save yourself a lot of uh, science and, you know, give yourself some nice benefits. Yeah, I, I really like to be able to get that down and and in play. Uh, I think part of it, like I said, is just the challenge. It just entertains me. Um, <laughs> and I, as I said, that's my problem in this game. People always say, why did you take that? And I said, I, I don't know. It seems fun. <laughs> but you're supposed to take that from that guy. I'm like, well, you know, I'm playing the game to entertain myself, too. Uh, so age two leaders, who do you like? Well, as I said, I, uh, I like um, Newton. I, I like getting uh, the bonus science, but also his special ability that every time you play a tech, you don't have to, you get back in action, mm -hmm. can be really powerful to get a lot of cards down on the table, especially those those blue cards or to get governments down. I mean, it, it's just, it, it can be nice. I, I like, you know, being able to have all of those tools available. Uh, Napoleon, of course, is extremely good to have. Uh, even if you're behind in military, just to deprive him to the military guy, if yeah. somebody's really going whole hog with military and has a nice tactics card out there, I'll take him just so that nobody else gets him. Yeah. Uh, even if I'm not really set up to take advantage of him, because it can just be devastating if somebody drops Napoleon down with a, with an air force. Uh, it can be a lot. Uh, and then I also like uh, Robespierre. Mm -hmm. Um, I think being able to get uh, the, I think the best age two government. I, I like um, constitutional monarchy. Yeah, constitutional monarchy is really nice. It's got a lot of both um, civil and military actions 
Um, so, you know, it can certainly be good for the rest of the game. So that can be a really good one to get also. And Robespierre makes it extremely painless to go because you just sack your military actions instead of your civils. So you don't have to blow a whole turn to upgrade to a uh, to a new uh, government. Yeah, your bias of your science heroes. I don't know. It's, it's really affecting your judgment here, Jeff. Cause... Well, you got to integrate <laughs> the strategy. I think that Isaac Newton is like the fourth best age two leader. That's And uh, looking at the list, that's what I think. And two of the ones that you mentioned and another one that, that you didn't mention, which was James Cook. And James Cook can just put the game so far ahead for someone who's played that sub-colony strategy uh, starting to get eight or ten points a turn. And unless yeah. that event comes up that kills James Cook, I mean, the game is pretty much over at that point. Yeah, I mean, if you get three, four, or five colonies, if somebody's got that, you know, then, yeah, Cook Cook becomes really important for somebody, you know, somebody else to take him instead of the guy with all the colonies. Yeah. But, again, it's got to kind of all come together for you to make that work. But if if you have the colonies, then then definitely Cook would be the man. Uh, but the other guys like Robespierre, I think those, you know, and those guys are, are much more general than any, regardless of what strategy you're pursuing, you can take advantage of. Yes. A lot of times it, that has to come up right. You know, you can see, all right, there's Robespierre and there's constitutional monarchy and you can just do it. That turn is is such a nice thing in age two. Like all of a sudden I have 406 actions because uh, of because <laughs> of, of Robespierre. And then, you know, you, you still get an extra military action out of the deal. In addition to that, I don't think he even needed to have that. He's he's good enough on his own in, in doing that revolt. Well, and the thing that you can start to do, I mean, one of the real advantages of having a lot of civil actions is you can, can really control the tempo of the game, is you can start vacuuming up cards off the track. Yeah. Um, you, you can both start playing a denial strategy where you're going to get cards that you know that other players want, even if you're not even really going to be able to play them later and just, just burn them. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can also accelerate the end of the game if you want to. You don't have to, but you have that option of all of a sudden, you know, really driving to the end of the age a lot faster than other players. So it's 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 important to, to have those civil actions and, and use them as a tool as well. Yeah, and, and speaking of cards that are a challenge to use, you know, I, I've tried to make Bach work, and I don't think I actually have won the game using Bach, uh, but it's uh, you certainly have to, to build towards it, and I just, yeah. he doesn't really give you the Bach and Shakespeare payoff. also, I, I don't see them as, you know, they're definitely bottom-tier guys. Yep. Uh, one time I saw somebody that had it perfectly set up for Shakespeare. You're not building, you know, even though I talked about the power of the libraries and the theaters, you're not having a ton of them early on. I mean, you want to have the capability, you get a couple of them going and starting to build that up, but you know, you're not really going to crank those out in the same way. And that's the problem with Shakespeare to me is to have a library and a theater and have, you know, a guy in each of those, that requires a tremendous amount of resources with all the other that's things that you're investment. trying to do and it's just hard to make that make that work. Yep, it's a big investment. So I guess you like Napoleon the best. That's probably your your main man, right? Well, he he can just win the game and and just single handedly on his own in a way that I think no other leader in the game can do. Especially if you've already decided you're kind of going to go heavy military. You've grabbed grabbed a couple H two techs. You know, if you get a Napoleonic tech, there comes a point where people can just look at you and say. I've lost the game. <laughs> I can't win. And and they're true. You know, especially you get Air Force thrown in the mix. Like, watch out. Game's over by like turn 17. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the end game, shall we? Sure. Age three. Robot Jeff. Robot Jeff. Programming through the ages strategy. Programming. 
programming. All right, so age three, uh, Jeff has argued a lot of times, you know, it's not about points. You can ignore points up to this point, but in age three, now you got to find a way to get points. Yes, now it's about points. <laughs> you, you have to make that pivot, you know, like midway through age two into age three is when you really got to start cranking it up. Right, and, and that's the funny thing about age three and why I think that, you know, the shorter game, the age two uh, the game where you only play two ages, what they call the advanced game, I almost feel like that's just not a game because you hit this point of no return halfway through the game and suddenly the technologies are worthless because you're not going to be able to get payoff out of them. And again, that's a, another common beginner mistake is there's a certain point and it's very early in age three when these age three techs come up and they they look really attractive and they say, ooh, I'll get you five science or five or like that oil you know it's just glaring at you like ooh, look at how much resources you can get but unless you get it you know immediately is just not worth it yeah absolutely the other thing that comes critical and and reaches sort of its climax is the the military you know it, it can become a point where a person who likes to play that game like me I, I know you don't like to do this i mean you're getting to the point and this is where the turn counter really helps because you know 16 17 or where you have to be building because you must declare a war the turn before the end of the game and trying to time that out is, is critical and ideally right. i mean the best way to do it is to declare war uh, two turns before the end of the game because in doing so you are allowed by the rules to sacrifice all your units and sometimes by doing that you can completely wipe out a civilization or yeah, or even better do the back-to-back -back war which will for sure do the trick of <laughs> a eliminating one player and b probably secure securing the victory for you yeah especially in a two-player game you know in a, a two-player game the dynamics of the military are definitely a lot different than in a three or four player game but that t total sack of an army is something that you've got to constantly be on guard for especially in the two-player game where there's there's not as much uh, not as many repercussions yeah and i know at the beginning of age three one thing that i sort of evaluate is i think about all right how am i going to win this game and you, you really have to make that decision um before you get too far in picking up cards and and using your science and, and or because there's basically like one or two or three things that you can do. And that's why I mentioned earlier that I think it's it's nice to build up some culture because if you're in that cultural position at this point, you can play the game of, okay, all I have to do is hold the line. I have to hold steady, keep at a decent amount of defense. I need to be aware of how threatening my opponents are. And if I score as many points as they do, which I, I probably can do at this point, I will win the game. You know, on, on the flip side, if you're behind by 20 or 30 points, you have to say, the only way I can win this game is by beating up on someone. Either that or by going wonder crazy. Or, or by getting some leaders, there are some leaders also that that can that can help you crank a lot of points out. Um, but uh, you know, the wonders, I think there's there's two wonders in particular that you have to stay focused on, and you got to try to get as soon as they come out, which is another advantage of having the the actions uh, to do that. The, the absolute best one, I think, is first space flight, mm -hmm. which gives you one point for every level of tech that you've got on the table, and that can easily be like forty points in one shot. And then the other is the uh, fast food restaurants, which gives you points for your workers, which can also be like 20 to 30 points. You know, th those two, the other ones, uh, internet, um, I forget the other ones, movies, they, they, they just don't, 
they don't give you nearly as much as those two. Those are the two that once they show up, there's there's a mad scramble for people to grab those and get those down onto the table. Yeah, it's uh, Hollywood and the internet. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. The first two are far better than the other two. And you know, if you're trying to get good at this game, you should have memorized what those four um, what those four wonders are, and that may influence some of the decisions that you make and trying to think about uh, building up to them. One other thing I, I want to mention is that a strategy that I tried recently that was really successful to me is to build zero wonders. And I know that that's in the civilization game, that that's a strategy, the computer game that, that some people use. And I found it to be really almost a relief because you can so focus on in infrastructure, getting points other ways, and I was able to win the game building zero wonders. And it's a fun strategy and, and something I would uh, encourage some of you to try. Actually, I, I will tell you though that one event came up that crumbled everybody else's wonders, which like made me do a little happy dance. <laughs> but it it's a solid strategy. Have you ever tried doing that? Yeah, I, I have uh, I, I have definitely, you know, not gone the wonder route and just try to focus. But then you've, you can get a lot of movies going. You can get movies and you can get uh, multimedia Yeah. Uh, and get a bunch of guys on those. You know, you, you can turn out a lot of culture every turn. You can grab uh, democracy is also just another way to squeeze a couple of points out. And, of course, military. Don't forget about uh, using military as a way to score points. Right. Well, those are the three ways. I yeah. mean, yeah, you can use your urban buildings, you can use your military, or you can you can use the wonders. Yeah. Um, but timing those wonders, you know, especially if you're going for first space flight, of, I'll, I'll either try to just hold that for the absolute last turn of the game. Yeah. And, again, you know, if, if I'm going with my science strategy of if you've got Einstein on the table, uh, Einstein gives you three culture for every – card that you play out basically uh you get you're going to get three culture for the for playing the card and three culture uh, uh, when you when you complete first space flight so for every single tech that you lay out you're getting six culture basically so you can really again crank out a lot if you're you know if you're up earning you know and you could easily be earning like you know 15 to 20 uh science a turn getting the cheap science techs and, you know, like that's when you bring out your arenas. A lot of the military techs at this point are, are cheap, yeah. the cheaper techs and just just, you know, spamming them onto the board and just just earning tons of uh, tons of culture. Yeah. And then my strategy is to find that guy who is spending all his actions and, and resources. He needs a 16 rock, I think, to build first space light and to declare war on him so that he, <laughs> either he has to choose between finishing first space flight or defending his civilization. Right. Uh, which is why it can very often be useful to have that. Uh, and one of the cards I think is really critical in the game uh, in H3 is the um, the one that helps you build the wonders. What's that called? Engineering Genius? Yep. The H3 Engineering Genius card, mm -hmm. uh, which can almost single-handedly finish one of those stages, especially in the ones uh, like for Space Flight or that, that have one really expensive stage, can be really nice because it insulates you from, like you said, aggressions and rocks getting stolen. You know, it's it's kind of like hidden resources in your hand that that can work really nicely but you gotta make sure that you you position yourself you don't want to be stuck with that thing unfinished at the end of the game because that'll that'll certainly lose it for you you know this brings it back to advantages of playing it online i love in the online version how everybody's cards are public and i know this is something we've talked about with memory elements like you know cubes in the tower with el grande but i i think this is different i i love more public information in games if 
I think I would probably ask to play that way if I did play it face to face, you know, again sometime soon is just to have everybody play with their civil cards face up because it it just I think it makes it a better game. What do you think? I don't know. Uh, honestly, even online, I don't check too much what other players have. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe that's a defect in my game, but I, I think the interaction is not at that point. The interaction is not, you know, really. I have a vague idea of what people are trying to do and what they're trying to build, and I, I react to that a little bit. But I don't think there's as much that you can plan for if you know what, what people have down to that level. Well, that's because you don't play the military game. I guess not. <laughs> you don't. You don't get to see people's military cards, though. So. You you don't. But what you do get to see is what uh, military text they have taken, and that you know that can be a critical piece of information. You know, if, if I had to remember if someone took a cannon or not, to see that they have no military text and there's no military text on the board, then I know. All right, I should crush them. Um, we were talking about age three. H3 cards and H3 leaders. There's two cards, because I do like to play that military game. Two of them that are critical in the game and when they come up, and sometimes I fear them if, if I'm trying to be a bully and win the game through through a war, is uh, Churchill and Gandhi. I mean, there's been times where I have to say, if Gandhi comes up and he takes it and plays it, I've lost the game. <laughs> and almost the same thing the same thing with Churchill. Sometimes with Gandhi, you'll have enough military actions, but other times I won't. And Churchill, once someone has it, you know, the the ability to defend is is just tripled. You know, and it can just be such an impact on when those two cards hit the table. Yeah, especially in the age three, you know, the the order that the cards come out can be really really important. You know, if if stuff is at the last couple of turns, it could be tough to get it on the table. I I've had age threes where I've been able to build two of the age three wonders. Yeah. Um, and you know that's 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 a game winner also to be able to do that. What what are your feelings about the H3 resource cards, the oil and um, selective agriculture, I guess it is, or, or I forget what the, the top one is, uh, but the, the top agriculture and uh, mining cards. You know, I think it totally depends on, you know, a lot of factors, obviously, how early they come out. Also, they're just useful in general for the end of game. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of those techs are useful at end of game for those bonus points that come out at the end of the game. So, you know, I don't shy away from them. I think oil can be very strong in particular. Yeah, certainly if you can get them early on to the table, um, it, it's it's good also. It can it can earn its money back. But, yeah, let's talk a little bit about those end game events. How, do you like to play those in? Do you, you know, tend to do other things with your military? Because you, you know, if you're doing military, you're you're using your political actions at the end of the game to, uh, to do wars and stuff like that, and not to, uh, not to drop cards into the event deck. Well, it depends, you know, what level of bully you want to be. You know, uh, you you can try to go for the the game with straight war. But I think the other tactic is not to even plan on doing a war and just try to retain, say, a 5-10 point advantage and be able to dictate a lot of the events. If you can dictate what three or four of those endgame bonus points are and know what they are and build towards that, I think you're very hard to stop. Yeah, that's well, that's true. And I, I like to play the events. I like to, uh, you know, again, I like to have some measure of of understanding of what's going in there. And, you know, and yeah, I kind of look at the budget at the end of, of how I'm scoring points. I mean, I figure that you can get 40 plus points, culture points during age three between the wonders and, and the more advanced buildings. And you can get, you know, 40 points in, in those events. So, you know, that's 80 to 90 points that you can get right at the end of the game. And out of, you know, that's that's easily you know, half of your winning total 
maybe maybe even uh, maybe even a higher percentage, you know, right at the end. So, you know, that that's why I tend to, you know, focus on on those age three things and how am I going to you know, how am I going to score those big points? And I think this is an, an underrated piece of if you fall behind in the military. I said that you, you can't win if you're behind for two or three turns. And one of the subtle reasons behind that is I hate it if I have cards and I fear that I can't play the cards. I just think that that's such a disadvantage. Obviously, you're not getting the points. You're losing the knowledge of what's going in the deck, and you're losing control of the events that are coming out. I, I can't stand having events and not being able to play them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a final card I think we should mention is, he's called Sid Meier here, but he's something else in the actual game, isn't he? Well, the original in the original uh, Czech uh, version, he was uh, it was Sid Meier's, and it was uh, Elvis. And now they're just game designer and rock star. Oh, is that what they are in the new desi- new edition is yeah, game designer? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Well, that's kind of funny because uh, game designer happens to be, I think, one of the most powerful cards in the game. We talked about leaders that can just win you the game. I think Sid Meier is a stronger leader than your buddy Albert Einstein. And what about Bill Gates? Bill Gates is strong as well, but uh, I, I think Sid Meier, the amount of the capability for the points that he can produce is scary. I apologize, but can you refresh my memory about Sid Meier's ability? I don't recall offhand. Sure. Sid Meier... uh, He's not the one that gives... Gates is the one that gives you the resources on the labs, right? He gives you... Yes. Gates gives you resources, and early he can function much like oil to make you power through and just build a ton of stuff. But what Sid Meier can do is just give you an astounding number of points because he gives you points equal to the level of your your labs. So say you had... um, Right three level three labs that would give you nine points a turn yeah but you know again yeah yeah, you don't have to do stuff but again with einstein you know you 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 lay down two techs in a turn and you're going to get 12 points for that if you can get first space flight but you don't need first space flight with uh uh with sid myers so that that's another way to 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 go but i i think actually of of the ages i think the age three leaders uh perhaps with the exception of of elvis are are the best balanced of the bunch i mean they they all have their place they all have their role there are times when i'll definitely go for gandhi or, or try to get churchill in there quickly or whatever i mean there's there's a place for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I've had games where I, I've taken Elvis and, and needed him because I haven't built any happiness decks, and, and he's gotten me out of a jam as well. So I think he's the weakest of the bunch, but he has he has his place, Mr. Presley. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think that certainly is an exhaustive review of the game. And do you have any final words of advice before we wrap this up, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, basically, if you're uh, if you're playing Ryan, don't let him push you around with his with his big army. Just uh, <laughs> you know, out out produce him and out science him, and uh, you'll you'll be fine. Yeah, I agree with Jeff. You should not worry about your military when you play against me <laughs> because nothing's going to happen when I take Napoleon and Air Force and Cannon. Don't worry. It, it will be fine. We can be peaceful. Right, Jeff? Yeah. Now, really, the, the key advice I would give is that you've got to have flexibility. I mean, you, you can have an overall strategy of what you're trying to do, but you've really got to approach every turn fresh. You've got to look at the cards that are up there. Um, you've got to look at what the other players are trying to do. You've got to look to see what you can do to mediate the remediate the weaknesses that you've got in your civilization, and and you know don't get don't don't be afraid to shift gears pretty quickly. And that's one of the things uh, that I really like about Through the Ages is you can be, you know, doing a 
you know, a, a science strategy early and then shift gears and go very quickly into a military strategy and get things going. There's nothing that says once you're on one track that you have to stay on that track for the entire game. I 100% agree with that statement, and it's one of the reasons I, I find it such a great game, and I think it's a common thread through a lot of my favorite games. I love the fact that when you sit down to that next turn, you may have thought that you knew what you were going to do the turn before, but because of the cars that have come up, because of that particular situation, it is a great idea to totally rethink each turn and, and explore all of those options, which is why I love it online, because people will go crazy if you think out all of your possible options uh, on each turn in real life. But in this game, you know, it, it's really important to do that. You know, I think about even simpler games such as... Uh, like Ticket to Ride, that's one thing I love about Ticket to Ride is you can't get stuck on a path and you got to just keep your your mind open. And in a lot of games, you know, Age of Steam is, is sort of the same way. You know, one door closes and another door opens and you have to continually rethink what you're going to do. And it makes it such a challenging, exciting and, and a great game experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if you want to uh, play a game with uh, either me or Ryan or both of us, um, you know, we're, I am on uh, Board Gaming Online and I'm on there as G Engelstein. So you could, um, you know, connect with me there or just drop me a note. And we could set up a game. I'm always, always up to play. Yeah, I think I'm under a clever code name of Ryan Sturm. So... Well, I want to I want to thank you so much, Jeff, for uh, the the hour and a half I guess that we've spent uh, talking about this game that we both love, and and I hope you've all enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I you know it's there. There's a, as we said, there's a lot of depth there, so I'm always happy to talk about through the ages. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We will. I, I got to stop saying that. We will see you next time because it doesn't make any sense. So goodbye. And right. what's what's a good ending phrase, Jeff? So long. Farewell. Avita <laughs> saying goodbye. Would you like to sing some sound of music with me? Uh, no, that's okay. I'll, uh, I'll leave the, the funny voices to you. All right. Well, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Uh, you gotta feel that funky jam. Uh, you gotta feel that funky jam. That wraps up this episode of How to Play, but be sure to visit us on our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com, for all the How to Play resources, to discuss the show, to contact me, or to show your appreciation for the show with a PayPal donation. I count on your support to help keep How to Play growing. If you use and love the How to Play podcast, I need your help. Show your appreciation by making a donation, spread the word about the show, and just let me know what you think about the show there at the Guild. Thanks again to you, the How to Play listeners around the world. And until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. The How to Play podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network, featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Jeff is an enlightened man and
Robot Jeff. Robot Jeff. Programming through the ages strategy. Programming. Programming. Uh, you gotta feel that funky Jeff. Uh, you gotta feel that funky Jeff. That's how Jeff does it, boys. <laughs> oh, Jeff's gonna get a new co-host.